Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. We start off this week with a statement just released by people striking behind the walls of the Alabama prison system. They write, quote, October 14th, 2022, from all confined citizens in Alabama prisons. Since the peaceful labor strike within the Alabama Department of Corrections began on September 26th, those who are striking have faced relentless attempts to break our spirit by the correctional staff. We have been starved, placed into solitary confinement and suicide cells as retaliation, and forced into dangerous situations as ADOC tries to turn us against each other. In spite of this, international media and activists have turned their attention toward Alabama and its inhumane treatment of and policies around incarcerated individuals. The world is watching. We will not relent under these retaliatory tactics. Our brothers, particularly those with health conditions, addiction, and mental health challenges, have faced challenges not only to their psychological well-being, but also to their very lives. Especially alarming is ADOC's intentional, quote-unquote, bird feeding, food deprivation, which presents a severe health risk to those who suffer from diabetes and other illnesses that require a wellness diet. Unlike the ADOC, we value life. By no means are we waving a white flag of defeat. We are still demanding our concerns be heard before our legislators and other elected officials. We also demand that our outside representatives be given platform to be our voice and the public hear our arguments. At this time, some have chosen to return to work to ensure that ADOC does not continue to target the most vulnerable in our population. Others will continue to strike. We will continue to escalate our strike peacefully until our voices are heard. Signed, Alabama Confined Citizens. Unquote. Elizabeth spoke to us this week from Alabama, two weeks after thousands of prisoners across all state prisons began a labor strike. As we just heard, many of them are still on strike now, and Elizabeth is one of many people with incarcerated loved ones who are supporting the strike. In contrast to official narratives from the governor and prison officials, Elizabeth emphasizes what she and others have been hearing directly from inside, that in response to weeks of work stoppages, prisons have responded with near starvation rations, lack of access to laundry, frightening medical neglect, and at least one reported case of direct physical violence by guards. She emphasizes the peaceful nature of the strike and describes some demands that have emerged from within different facilities. Alabama is one of five states where prison slavery, work without payment, remains legal today, and reasonable payment for work is a major demand emerging from the strike movement. She also speaks about other demands, like increased use of the Good Time Incentive Program and the repeal of Alabama's infamous Habitual Offender Act. I'm Elizabeth. I have loved ones who are incarcerated in the Alabama Department of Corrections. And at this moment in time, they are going through some pretty horrendous conditions that violate uh, the their rights under the Eighth Amendment. So 
At this moment in time, those who are incarcerated in Alabama are striking against the conditions within the prison system here, as well as the lack of action by the parole board here, where the parole board is denying nearly everyone that should be eligible for parole. They are not actually having that opportunity. We have a huge amount of people who are incarcerated under the Habitual Offender Act, which has led to mass incarceration. They are being forced to work for little to no money, and it's not an option for them to not work. And they don't have any incentives right now to change or make changes or anything that would help them rehabilitate and prepare for release to society. In Alabama, huge amount of money is made off of those who are incarcerated, and it's everything from making chemicals to making tags, license plate tags, um, or even cooking and preparing food in the kitchen or in the laundry, but they don't get paid for this actual labor, which uh, is, is one of the big issues. I mean, if you are sitting here working for free and you're being forced to work for free, that's considered slavery. And slavery is legal under the 13th Amendment. And right now, the people are asking that they be paid. You know, Paying those that for their work provides many, many benefits to not only the person who's incarcerated, but it can help support their family who is maybe struggling on the outside to pay their bills. It could go to paying their fines, and it could also go in a fund for when they are released to society so that they have something to start their lives over with. Uh, which would help reduce the recidivism rate, which also helps with public safety. You know, when you look at incarceration, people think, okay, well, we're going to put somebody away who is a danger to society, and they're going to have this opportunity to get rehabilitated and come out a better person. And so I often like to ask people, who do you want to have come out of the prison? Do you want the same person that went in to come out? And the answer is typically no. Well, do you want somebody who is the same or, or worse? then the answer again is typically no. And um, and I try to say, you know, when you look at something like that, who's coming out of prison tends to be much worse off than who went into the prison system. And it's because of the lack of rehabilitation. And on top of that, they have no way to prepare themselves income-wise to be released from prison, and which can lead to homelessness and just further increases the recidivism rate. So Alabama has the Habitual Offender Act, and it is one of the main contributors to the mass incarceration here. And essentially, if somebody who has been convicted of a crime previously uh, gets in trouble again, gets trouble with the law again, then they can be sentenced under this act, which includes lengthy sentences or can include lengthy sentences. And part of the problem with that is... Uh, when you have a massive amount of people who are incarcerated, they're not contributing to society. They are not, and if they have lengthy sentences, they are not having the chance to really rehabilitate or start their lives over. And who you are today is not who you were 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, 
And so right now, one of the things that the people are asking for is for the Habitual Offender Act to be repealed and the presumptive sentencing to be made retroactive. As shown, the Habitual Offender Act does not deter criminal activity. I know quite a few people who are incarcerated within Alabama, and I I do have loved ones who are on the ends at this time, which has opened up my eyes. Prior to really having an understanding of this, I didn't realize just how little rehabilitation occurs within the prison system. And I myself am a counselor, and so I I follow evidence-based treatment in my practice. Uh, But to then discover that we have thousands of people who are incarcerated in an uh, institution facility type setting where they receive no evidence-based counseling or treatment. Very few of them can get any kind into any programs until it is near the end of their sentence, which means they don't have much time to prepare for their release. Um, but there's also... Not having the rehabilitation contributes right back to the recidivism rate and contributes to the danger. And so before I knew about what was going on in the prison system, I thought everything was great. Now I realize that things are not good. People come out of prison with post-incarceration syndrome or PTSD, and there is very little rehabilitation. One of the things that could be used would be the Good Time Incentive Program because it is an evidence-based incentive program designed to train and teach individuals to have good behavior or to make changes in their behavior and decision-making skills, which could then turn around and lead to reduced recidivism rates. The parole board in Alabama right now is letting very few people be granted parole Um, They do not have the Good Time Incentive Program being utilized. They do not necessarily follow the recommendations based on their own guidelines that they are instructed to use. But those guidelines are just a suggestion for the Alabama Parole Board, uh, which does not help matters. So for the last few weeks in Alabama, those who are incarcerated have been striking against the prison conditions, against the lack of parole board granting paroles, and they're seeking legislative change. They're wanting change to make things better. They want to be able to have access to rehabilitation and to have fair treatment. So the demands depend on uh, who you are speaking with. So if you are speaking to those who are incarcerated, they've got uh, demands that vary depending on which prison location they they are located at. Generally, they are focusing on being able to be paid a minimum wage or paid for the services that they are providing to uh, the people of Alabama, to each other. As I stated before, those who are incarcerated are not responsible for feeding each other. That is the state's responsibility. Another area that they're really interested in looking at is receiving the Good Time Incentive Program back. Many of them, those who are incarcerated, want to be able to make changes, become productive citizens of society. They want to have that second chance, and the Good Time Incentive Program would help them develop those skills, develop the decision-making skills needed. And another 
demand that they are really interested in looking at is the Habitual Offender Act being repealed with presumptive sentencing to be made retroactive so that there can be a reduction in the population within the prison system. Allowing the Habitual Offender Act to be done that way would allow for people who have been sentenced under the Habitual Offender Act previously to be able to benefit from having this act repealed as well. Well, so pressure has been put on ADOC to make changes and to look at how they treat people, how they treat those that they are entrusted in taking care of and protecting, which quite frankly, right now they are starving them. They do not, they're only serving meals typically about twice a day. Some days it has only been once a day. The meals are much smaller compared to typical meals, which are already small to begin with. People on the outside have been putting pressure on ADOC by calling attention to the media, being very active on social media, as well as holding protests and rallies, both at ADOC's offices and at the Capitol building in Montgomery. That's the pressure that's coming from the outside, along with phone calls and emails and things such as that. On the inside, it has been a very peaceful strike where those who are incarcerated are simply not going to do their jobs that they are essentially forced to do, which is then put pressure on ADOC to then provide meals for those who are incarcerated. For most, it is considered reasonable that if you're not going to be paid, you would not go to work. Or if your boss was screaming and yelling or threatening you, you would not go to work. And so those who are incarcerated are simply trying to peacefully protest their conditions. So there have been several forms of retaliation that have occurred since this peaceful protest began. They stopped visitation between those who are incarcerated and their families. Um, a bigger form of retaliation has been a drastic decrease in the amount of food that they are feeding those who are incarcerated. Instead of three meals a day, it is it has been dropped down to two meals a day and sometimes even one meal a day, with the meals being much smaller than an average size meal that ADOC would serve under more normal circumstances. Furthermore, they're also not, ADOC is not providing laundry services at this time for those who are incarcerated. So there's some issues related to hygienic practices. ADOC has brought in uh, those who are incarcerated at other facilities, such as the work release camps, to come into the prisons and do the work of those who are incarcerated and are peacefully striking, which then in turn puts these individuals' lives in danger because they are being seen as a as somebody who's not helping the situation, who's making things worse, and who are continuing the practices that they are peacefully trying to protest. I have heard ADOC has threatened several individuals with disciplinary reports, uh, accusing them of various activities such as inciting a riot or um, in, encouraging, I can't even think of what the word was, but inciting a riot. 
However, there have been no riots at any of the prisons. They have all maintained peace throughout this entire situation. There have been quite a few reports put out by the ADOC and by Governor Ivey that have stated that things are going smoothly, that no critical operations have been um, canceled or interrupted. However, things such as food services are a critical operation, and those have been interrupted, as well as there are reports of people not receiving their medication um, or being denied medication for things such as epilepsy or diabetes. And so I think that would also be considered a disruption of a critical service. However, false information has been given. There are reports of officers who have been violent towards those who are incarcerated for not getting getting up and doing their job and participating in the strike. Officers attacked one man because he was telling the others who are incarcerated what their rights are. And that was deemed as inciting a riot. And I believe he received some other disciplinary reports and he is currently in segregation. So information has been leaking from the inside via uh, the wall phone where those who are incarcerated are calling home and telling their families and their families are all speaking and discussing this. There've also been written letters that have come out where people are detailing what's going on and writing about it. And then uh, there are other methods that those who are incarcerated have found in order to get information out. And we there have actually been a few correctional officers who have shared information and have shared their concern with how people are being treated. For now, people, the people who are incarcerated are continuing to be to peacefully strike uh, at most of the prisons, not all of them. Uh, several of the prisons, people, a few of the people have started to go back to work. Not everybody has. Um, but more those who are incarcerated are pushing their family and loved ones to get involved, talk to their representatives, talk to the media, and see what can be done to change this and make this to go from a humanitarian crisis to something where the prison system becomes more productive in terms of rehabilitating people and giving people a second chance to come out and be productive members of society where public safety is taking is taken into consideration. I think looking to the future, those who are incarcerated and those of us on the outside would really like to see a change a change through the legislature and in how people are treated. And so we, we would really like to see a change where public safety is connected in with how do, we, how do we make sure people start getting paid for the work they're doing so that they can then in turn use this to help, help them when they are released, which would also help recidivism. I think we would like to see a change within the laws to allow for the good time incentive program to be applied for all eligible to return to society, which would then give uh, the individual a chance to practice making good decisions 
and evaluating their decisions, which would also help reduce the recidivism rate. And, and it helps with public safety in that you have people coming out that have already started practicing those changed skills. And we would like to see a change with the Habitual Offender Act being repealed and the presumptive sentencing to be made retroactive, which would help reduce the mass incarceration and thus allow ADOC to be able to provide more rehabilitative programs, the programs that they say they have. So I think one of the key things is to have an understanding of how your state, in particular for Alabama, how Alabama treats those who are incarcerated and how do they provide rehabilitative services. As a whole, our country is not known for providing very many rehabilitative services and those who are incarcerated tend to come out in a worse situation than when they went into prison. Uh, so I think Everybody could take take the time to learn about how people are actually treated, what rehabilitative services are actually being provided, and are those evidence-based services? What incentives are being given to those who are incarcerated to make changes, and how are these changes being reinforced in a positive manner that could help reduce the recidivism rate and lead to more productive members of society? Within Alabama, I encourage people to talk to their representatives, find out about what's really going on, and have an understanding that just because something is reported in the media by ADOC or Governor Ivey does not mean that that is accurate information. And as far as Alabama goes, they could find out a lot of information by talking to those who are incarcerated and finding out what is really going on behind the walls. For me, Knowing people on the inside and what they're really going through and the lack of rehabilitation they received was very eye-opening from the beginning. Having the understanding that what's going coming out of the prison is worse than what is going in the prison is also very eye-opening. Over the last few weeks, what has really stuck out to me is how, as a, as a state, we are treating people who are, whose health and wellness and care is the responsibility of the state and they are not being fed they're being fed so little amount of food their medical attention their medical needs are not being met persons with disabilities are being neglected or their rights are being violated and so watching this from the outside has been heartbreaking it's heartbreaking to know that individuals that the state is responsible for their well-being are not being taken care of and are being starved and medically neglected. And we close with a reading of Let the Crops Rot in the Fields, an important document from the Free Alabama Movement, published in 2015, setting out a strategy for direct economic action against mass incarceration. Let the crops rot in the fields. A call for new strategy in the national movement against mass incarceration and prison slavery. The new strategy, using direct economic action to affect change. When determining the best strategy to challenge mass incarceration and prison slavery, it is essential that we step back and take a look at the entire system. 
we must identify the fundamentals of what makes the system work and why the system exists. Once we thoroughly understand the underpinnings of the system of mass incarceration, we can begin to see why the old strategies and tactics have not and will not bring about any meaningful change. Then we can begin developing a new strategy that attacks mass incarceration at its core. Just like the institution of chattel slavery, mass incarceration is, in essence, an economic system which uses human beings as its nuts and bolts. Therefore, our new approach must be economically based and must be focused on the factors of production, the people being forced into the slave labor. Our three-part strategy. One, organize prison shutdowns at prisons with major economic industries, tag plants, fleet services, food distribution centers, agriculture, etc. Two, call for a nationwide leaflet campaign protests and boycotts of McDonald's restaurants, which is one of the major corporations that has a national presence and that benefits from prison slavery, in addition to others like Walmart, Victoria's Secret, AT&T, Wells Fargo Banks, Wendy's, GEO, CCA, private prison companies that are listed on the NYSE, and more. Three, Having our families, friends, supporters, activists, and others holding protests at the prisons where the people are mass incarcerated and oppressed. Consolidating our resources. Having our families, friends, activists, and supporters all galvanized at a select prison to engage in protests and to show support for the people on the inside who are being oppressed. This strategic move is just as important as the strikes because it brings all of the people together who oppose mass incarceration and prison slavery. We can't have a unified movement against mass incarceration and prison slavery if we are in a long distance relationship with our supporters, organizers, activists, and others who support our cause. We have to get everyone organized at the prisons so that we can confront the system at the site of its oppression at the prisons. By having our supporters in one location for each state, we maximize our resources, increase our strength in numbers, and we move with a unified front. Very little can be done by the state at this point except to meet our demands. The protests against police brutality are taking place at police stations. The workers at Walmart are protesting at Walmart. The Occupy Wall Street movement protested on Wall Street. Therefore, the movement and fight against mass incarceration must take place at the prisons the old way. Now let's take a look at the familiar strategies of movements against mass incarceration and prison slavery and see why we need a change in strategy. One, hunger strikes. The demonstrations put on by the men and women in California, in Georgia, Washington State, and Texas showed us all that with leadership and unity, we can defeat mass incarceration with the right strategy. But we also learned that while we did see progress in some areas, it has a minimal impact on the system of mass incarceration. We have to strategize with the understanding that we are dealing with modern day slave profiteers. These businessmen will gladly let us die from starvation so long as their assembly lines keep moving. Leasing convicts to private businesses made a tidy fortune for both state and local governments, especially after slaves were emancipated. In 1878, 73% of Alabama's entire state revenue came from prison labor. Reconstruction era plantation owners, though, were hardly incentivized to care about their charges. When any of their starving workers died, they simply asked the state for new ones, at no cost to their bottom line. 
The net effect on the bottom line from a hunger strike is negligible. This is not going to get the response we need, so we have to do more. Two, marches. Sure, the traditional marches bring attention to issues and they bring people together, but they simply don't bring about much results. If we must march, then let's march at the prisons where mass incarceration and prison slavery are taking place. As I said above, when the people protest against police brutality in Ferguson, Memphis, and California, they're doing it at the police stations. When Ban the Bow activists protested in support of Palestine, they protested at the ports. We have to ask ourselves, if we are protesting against mass incarceration and prison slavery, then why aren't we doing it at the prisons where economic strength can be felt? This has been KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. After a brief hiatus, we're happy to report that our prisoner call-in phone line is back. Folks on the inside or their outside friends and supporters can call 765-343-6236 to record a message to be played on the air. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.